0: You're listening to the Beach Haven Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Orr, and I have the opportunity of serving as the worship pastor here at Beach Haven Church in Athens, Georgia. And we're so glad that you tuned in today. This is actually episode one of our podcast. We're kicking it off this year in 2024, and we're really excited that you'll have the opportunity to weekly download and listen. To the sermon content from Sunday mornings. You may have already listened to this sermon. It could be that this sermon uh, podcast message has been passed on to you by someone else. Or again, it could be that you just stumbled across it. With that, I'm excited and you'll be listening now to the very first sermon in our series titled Jesus on Every Page. Without further ado, our lead pastor, Rob Timms.
1: I'm so glad that we're continuing our worship together. Thank you for being here. And if you want to take a Bible or your phone app, your Bible app, and turn to Genesis chapter 1, I would love for you to be there with me today as we begin a new series um, that I've entitled Jesus on Every Page. Now, the, the purpose of this series is for us to examine multiple Old Testament passages and reveal and to come to understand that the whole time from creation until Jesus's second return, everything is pointing to the person of Jesus. Um, when you came in this morning— You hopefully grabbed a worship guide. And so I want to call your attention to the left hand portion of that on the inside that's completely dedicated to our our message this morning. I want to invite you to come deeper, go deeper into this topic of creation that we're talking about today. Um, So not only in the sermon, but through our Bible reading plan. I hope that you'll take advantage of that so that you can be uh, a little bit deeper involved into what's going on. And then also our Wednesday night Bible study after dinner, Wednesday night, we'll continue. Those of you that are not participating in other ministries, come and we'll dive deeper into the doctrine of creation this Wednesday. But also there are two books that I've read. Recommended to you for this series, the first of which is by David Murray, whose title I stole for my sermon series title called Jesus on Every Page. It's a very accessible book. You can read it in about three hours. Um, If you're a slow reader in three hours, you can do this, guys. It's an excellent, excellent text for understanding the gospel on every page. If you want to read a devotional every day for 365 days, then Nancy Guthrie's book, Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament, is also an excellent resource. So I just wanted to recommend those to you, and you'll see uh, these dive deeper options inside your worship guide every week. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, let's get started. There's a lot of new going on this week. Is there a lot of new for you? We've got a new college pastor. Praise the Lord. We're very excited about that. Um, we've got a new year. We've got a new day right now. How many of you are wearing new clothes you got for Christmas? Raise your hand. That's fine. Ah, A lot of you. Great. Yes, me too. Like top to bottom, pretty much all the new. I love, I love new and we all crave New. Um, I I crave new in just about everything that I have in this world. Okay, even when I buy used, I'm telling myself it's new to me, and that makes it new, right? Even in those cases, I'd prefer to buy new, but I can't, so I go to Poshmark or Facebook and I buy used new for me. I get new clothes. I'm looking for new recipes. I'm, I'm looking for new restaurants. I look for new cars. Take a breath and just smell that new car smell right now in your head. Isn't that wonderful? I, maybe I'm the only one. Okay. I really like new cars. I'm, I've got some new tools. I was in Sam's and they were selling new mulch. They were selling new seeds. They were selling new plants because evidently it's going to be spring and January. I, we love new. Our culture loves new. We fight for new. We crave new. We long for new, but nothing stays new. Um, my birthday was, was January 4th, and I got a text from one of our staff members, and it said, happy birthday, you're old, with an exclamation mark at the end, right, right there at the end. And I responded, thank you, you're fired. And um, <laughs> I want, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but his initials are Nathan Evans. And, so, and right, right before I sent it, I, I deleted that, you know, and I said, thank you, you're just, you're right. I'm just, I'm, I'm old, right? Because everything breaks down, everything gets spotted, everything gets stained, everything corrodes eventually. Everything just gets old. I wore a shirt on Friday, and when I was getting ready to leave home, um, Holly said, uh, That shirt's uh, gotten tight. <laughs> okay? Notice how she placed the blame on the shirt. Yeah, not on me who had, you know, where it used to fit, right? Like it used to be a little more solid and that was a little more saggy on me. Like that's, that's the thing. So I gave it to my 19 year old son who is in perfect health, right? She was being really nice, but she was also pointing out that everything in this world is just getting old. It gets old. Now this happens to our relationships. This happens to our jobs. This, ha- everything is kind of breaking down. It's just we're fighting for new, we want new, we, we long for new, we do everything we can to keep things new, but things just get old. Is there any hope in this world where everything gets old to actually become new? Is there any hope for those of us in our lives where we have health problems, where we have broken relationships, where we have habits that we cannot break that are destructive? Is there any hope for those things to be new? Can we hit a reset button that actually works? And one way to find the biblical answer to that question is to go back to the time where everything was made new in Genesis chapter 1, which is where we're going to be spending about half of our time today And I, in overviewing Genesis 1 with you, I want to show you three things, and I think they are the main thing that God wants us to understand about the doctrine of creation, about how things were made new. And the first thing that I want to show you through this creation narrative is the presence of God's Word. There is no newness if there is not the presence of God's Word. It is through His Word that God created it was with his word that God imposed order and purpose onto the chaos that was first present. It was with his word in Genesis 1 3 through 5, where God created time and God created space. It was with his word that God created the functions that promote and support the life on this planet in verses 6 through 13. It was with his word that God created and assigned purpose to the functionaries of our universe in verses 14 through 19. It was with his word that God created living creatures for the waters and for the sky and for the land, and he assigned to them purpose and function in verses 20 through 31. It was with his word that God created human beings, you and I in his likeness of all sorts. In verse 26, yes, it was the presence of God's word that made all of this a reality. Without the presence of God's word, there is nothing. There's no us. There's no world. There's no universe. There is just a formless void were it not for the presence of God's word. So God's word is present, And the fact that the word is present inevitably means that God is at work because where God is at work, there's where God's word is, there is his work being done. So there's not just the presence of God's word in Genesis 1 and 2, there is the power of God's word. The creation account teaches us that what exists does so because of his power. Um, it, it, there are scientific mechanisms that help us understand how all of our world and our universe work. But what the Bible is first and foremost interested in is communicating to us that all of it has come to exist because of the power of the Word of God. Genesis 1 and 2 are not about the mechanics, they are not about the science of how our world works. Genesis 1 and 2 is an account on the agency behind the existence of our world. It's not about the how, it's about the who. It's not about the what, it's about the him. It is about the being, the agency of God who is behind our creation. And when that God speaks, when his presence of his word is brought to bear, there is power and that power makes creation. Now, just speaking these things into existence is evidence enough of his power. He can say it, and it is. But if you read Genesis 1 very carefully, what you'll notice is that God is not just speaking things into existence, but he's also calling them something. He's naming them something. He's blessing them. He's judging them. He's evaluating them. Even as he speaks them into existence, then he gives them a name. Then he evaluates that they are good. Then he judges that they are good. Then he, he is um, he's uh, calling or naming those things and naming and evaluating all that the word brought into existence emphasizes the fact that he has the power and he has the authority over everything that he has made. Being able to name something, being able to create something, being able to judge something, being able to evaluate something, being able to bless something, that is a demonstration of God's power over all that he has made. So we have the presence of God's word all through Genesis 1 and 2. God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, said, said. And then we have him making it in the power of his word. And then we have him naming it, claiming authority over it, claiming sovereignty over it, evaluating it, judging it, blessing it. We have the power of God's word. But God's word is not just powerful for power's sake. God's word, if you look through Genesis 1, you'll see this. God's word uses his divine power to create a divine order. There is purpose And there is harmony in creation because of the presence and power of God's Word. It's not just power for power's sake. It's not just power for power's sake. It is power that creates purpose and order out of chaos, out of emptiness. So the power of God's Word is not just creating, it's harmonizing. It all works. Even the literary structure of Genesis 1 and 2, if you want to geek out with us on Wednesday night, that that illustrates the order and the purpose that God has put into this world. So here's the emphasis of Genesis 1 and 2 God's word is present. It's not on the mechanism of science, it's on the agency of God behind it. So His his Word is present, His Word is powerful, and we see His purpose in forming a structure and rhythm and function to His creation. This is really important to understand. This is what the Bible's trying to do when it comes to the creation account. Westerners, Americans, we ever since the enlightenment, we are fascinated with the how. We want to bring our presuppositions to the Genesis text and say, show us Genesis one, how old the earth is. We want to say, show us Genesis one and two, how did all of this come to be? Make the big bang make sense, Genesis one and Genesis two. Make my understanding of the way science works, make that speak into how I understand the world. And Genesis one and two is not interested in answering any of those questions. What Genesis 1 and 2 wants you to know is that there is a God who's behind it and He did it all with His Word. It's about agency. All of the mechanics are gonna make sense one day. It's all gonna point right back to the Word to the extent that He reveals it to us and allows us to see it. But those are not the questions that we want to bring. If you read Genesis 1 and 2 and you miss out on the fact that God spoke. God spoke and he brought power and purpose to this world, then you are missing out on the richness of Genesis 1 and 2. The Bible is a very ancient text, but that does not mean that it is void of wisdom or intellectualism. Our questions about the beginning of the universe are not new questions. It should blow your mind that who knows how many millennia ago, there was a guy or a girl or a group of people who were asking questions about the beginning. And they were philosophically having these conversations about how everything came to exist. And in doing so, it was revealed to them by the Spirit of God that all of creation came to be and operate according to the power of His Word. His Word, it was present. And it was powerful and it was purposeful. Now, go in your Bibles to John chapter 1. That's the fourth gospel in the New Testament, the second half of your Bible. I want you to fast forward who knows how many millennia to John chapter 1. Because at some point after Jesus' resurrection, The apostle John wrote these words in John 1, verse 1 through 3 that we had in our scripture reading this morning. John wrote this. Notice how similar these words are to Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning And all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Folks, it was no accident on the Apostle John's part that the beginning words of his gospel take us back to the beginning of the universe. Now you compare this to what Luke does or what Matthew does. Those guys, they start their gospels with Jesus's ancestry. They start their their gospel accounts with Jesus's birth. His incarnation is where they begin. But John doesn't start with Jesus's birth. John starts with Jesus's eternal existence as God, with God, before the creation of the world. And when he does so, John reveals to us that it was Jesus who was the very one going about accomplishing all of God's creative plans. In the beginning was the word. And in Genesis 1, God said, God said, God said, and there was, and there was. And you can just go right back into Genesis. And every time you see the phrase, God said, you can put the word Jesus, and there was Jesus was the very one going about accomplishing all of God's creative plans. So when God speaks and when God evaluates and when God names, you can just put the word Jesus right there. Paul saw the same thing. Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17. Look what he says. He says, Everything was created by him. He's talking about Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and by Him all things hold together. The Word, Paul says, is Jesus. And it was Jesus who created the universe, who sustains the universe, who directs the universe moment by moment. And He always will into eternity. And the reason, the physical laws of this universe operate in a consistent and predictable manner manner is that Jesus ordered it, and Jesus blessed it, and Jesus sustained it just by saying so. You believe this? Do you believe this? That from the very beginning of Genesis 1, there is Jesus, and it is by him all things are being made, and through him that all things were made, and for whom all things were made. This is amazing, but It's not all that John says. John had one has even more to say about the word. As incredible as it is that Jesus made all of these things, John goes on to say in verse 14 that the most, the more incredible news is that the person through whom all things were made, the agent of creation became a living word. The eternal word that spoke reality into existence became a living word inside that which he made. Look at John 1:14. He says the word, the very word that spoke all of this into existence, became flesh, just like you and me. And he dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, do you get this? The eternal Word who made the world entered into the world that He made as one of us, the author of creation, became a part of His created world. When we read John and the other gospel accounts, what you will see is when Jesus was here, as the living word, you see him doing the same things he was doing as the eternal word when he made creation. Let me say that again. If you read the gospel accounts, you will see the living word, the person of Jesus, doing the same things in this world that he did to make this world, okay? So you see him acting with purpose. You see him acting with purpose. Power. You see him present with the people. You see him filling voids. You see him bringing order to chaos. All the things that he did in creation, he did when he lived among this incarnation. In Mark chapter four, Jesus stood on the stern of a boat and the boat was on the verge of sinking in the Sea of Galilee, in large part because of a storm. And Jesus stood on the stern of the boat and said, peace, be still. And the weather obeyed him. The storm ceased, and the sea went. still, Jesus brought to order the chaos or the power of his word. When I was in middle grade school, I lived in the same house that my father grew up in, this one his, his father built. And directly across the street was the baseball field for minor league baseball. And I was on the Moose Lodge team. The Moose Lodge of Cleveland, Mississippi sponsored my summer league baseball team. And we had black shirts. And I loved baseball a lot. I mean, I loved it a lot. And I would sit on Saturday afternoons, after lunch, I would get on my uniform, my white polyester pants with the weird stirrup things that they make you wear. And I would put on my black Moose t-shirt and my black hat in rural Mississippi in June and July. And I would sit outside in the front yard, looking at the baseball field for hours until my game. And I can remember Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, because it's the Mississippi Delta in June and July. And I can remember sitting in my yard, looking at over the basement and watching the thunderstorms develop pretty much every Saturday afternoon. And my heart is loving baseball. And all I see is dark cloud after dark cloud forming because it's 99.99999% humidity in Mississippi Delta. And you can just see the moisture building. And every Saturday afternoon at four o'clock, the humidity would finally just pop and lightning would strike everywhere and it would dump two inches of rain and I would miss my baseball game. And I can remember sitting in the yard going, Lord, please don't let it rain. Please don't let it rain. I just want to play baseball. Can I please let, just please don't let it rain. And I had no power to stop it. And Jesus stood on a boat and said, peace, be still. And he stopped it. It obeyed. In John chapter 2, Jesus ended the emptiness of a wedding party that had no wine. And a wedding party in Jesus' day with no wine is a real bummer empty party. And he turned the water into exceptionally good wine. He filled the party with the power of his word. In John chapter 6, he filled the stomachs of thousands with bread and fish that was meant for one or two. In Luke chapter 5, he filled the empty nets of fishermen with an enormous haul at the end of the day. Jesus, as he went through this earth doing earthly ministry, he did the same thing that he did in creation. With his presence and with the power and the purpose of his word, he filled the void. He did what he had done in creation he formed, he filled, he revealed, he called to rest, he brought power and purpose to his creation with his presence as he walked in this world the same thing that he did when the earth was formless and void he spoke it into existence when he walked into that which he created he did the same thing to people with his presence and his power and his purpose but for all of that Jesus did more I feel like a salesman like an infomercial but wait there's more Jesus did something that he had covenanted with God the Father and the Holy Spirit to do before he made any of this. Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus, the author of creation, became the author of our salvation. And he did this not by exerting his creative power, but by offering himself to be crushed in in his weakness let me say that again, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who walked in the earth and had total control over all that he had made and brought those same principles and realities to bear in people's lives. As you read through the gospels, you can see this, that the author of creation really came to be the author of our salvation. And he did this not by exerting his creative power, but by offering himself to be crushed in weakness The light of the world entered into the darkness of our rebellious world as an incarnated person. But he also entered into the darkness of a crucifixion and the darkness of a tomb so that you and I can live in the light. The treasure of heaven emptied himself of all the privileges of his deity so that you and I could be God's own children. The one who made us in his image became marred by the sin of his image bearers so that we could be transformed into his same image from one degree of glory to another. Can you believe this? Can you believe that the eternal word became the living word? And with all of that power and with all of that purpose and with all of his presence, he... He he emptied himself of it and in his weakness was crushed so that the image bearers who sinned against him could be restored to him. This is the living word. This is the eternal word. This is what he he did. And and whether you've heard this before a million times or whether you're just now hearing it for the first time, you are now hearing that the word, the, the power of that word and what matters more than anything else in your life is your response to this eternal living word. You craving new? Are you eager for a reset button? on some aspects of your life that a new year just can't give you? I'm already behind in my Bible reading plan and I wrote the Bible reading plan. (laughs) Jesus can make this new. This is what He does, He makes new. If you are craving new, if you're eager for a more substantive reset than just a new year can give you in your own power, then I wanna invite you this morning to the living word to the eternal living word. The apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:17 he says if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away and see the new has come. Now this newness is different. This is not a new wardrobe. This is not a new 21-day uh, diet cleansing plan. This is not, uh, you know, you're going to stretch more for 21 days. This is not, you're going to start going to the chiropractor. Uh, maybe I'm just listing all of my newness that I'm trying. This is unique. It's more substantive. It's more far-reaching. But it's also unique because it's not something you can make happen. You can't make... This new happen. The living word, the power of the eternal word, the presence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God in your life, you have no control over Jesus. You cannot make this happen. In the same way that you and I did nothing to speak our physical existence into being, you cannot do anything to speak the new life of Christ into being. You cannot make him do that to you. I had no power to make myself a new person physically. My parents did not ask if I wanted to exist. They did not ask that. I had no power in it. And in the same way, I do not have any power to make myself a new creation spiritually. In the same way that the Spirit of God hovered over the void of my life and spoke new life into existence. In the same way that God hovered over creation and spoke creation into existence, the Holy Spirit needs to hover over your life and speak that new life into existence. The Word has to go out. The presence of God has to be there. The power of God has to be there. The purpose of God will be there when those things are there. The Word has to go out and it has to shine the light of the good news of Jesus into your darkness so that you can see Jesus' beauty, so that you can see Jesus' truth, so that you can see His worth. And when the word convinces you of this and you believe it and you invest in it and you put all of your chips in it, he opens your eyes and you go, yes, that is true. That is what I need. And you put all of your hope into it. You put all of your words into it. That's when you are made new that's when you are made new and you get the promise of Ezekiel 36, 26. When he promised, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And while coming to Jesus, getting this new life will not stop your body from aging. It has not stopped mine from aging. Stuart, has it stopped yours from aging? No, it's still aging. Okay, okay. You're not going to get a new life. You're not going to get a new body, but you will get new. Listen to the way Paul puts it, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Look at this. He says, even though our outer person is being destroyed, that's a little harsh (laughs) way to describe aging, but we're going to roll with it. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. There it is, renewed. If your eyes are open to the truth of the gospel and you believe it and you, in, you invest in it, you'll begin to think differently as you saturate your mind in God's word as you do relationships with the people who are trying to follow Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the, the Spirit will do His work and bearing His fruit in your character and your relationships will take on a new meaning as you orient your, your life and your actions and your character and you begin to mature into looking like the Jesus whom you love. Don't you want that? Do you have a sense right now that God is making you new? Because here's the hope we find in Genesis 1 and in John 1. That though we've made a mess of things, Jesus can do to us what he did to the formless void before time began. He can make new. He can make new.